Welcome to your Sacred Pattern Podcast, a logical, analytical approach to your spiritual journey and a home to advance your process as a heart-centered leader. Here we will cover patterns, purpose, and polarity from the perspective of spiritual beings having a human experience. I am your host, Ellen Tai, a process and mindset architect, dynamic shapeshifter, mirror, and alchemist. Join me as we bridge worlds and dive deep into the bliss of your sacred pattern. Get ready to have your mind blown. Welcome to episode nine. It's episode nine. Oh, these are so fun. I hope you guys are having fun listening to these too. <laughs> so the other week I did a recording on um, divinity and relationships and two questions that I posed in the interview with Igor was around codependency and jealousy. And I realized that Codependency is definitely something worth diving in a little bit further because it's something that I've worked through. It's a beautiful shadow that I've worked through for almost my entire life. So I have found lots of ways, different tools that have worked for me, and it's an unraveling journey and maybe a forever journey. But what I do know is that it's a sacred part of my pattern that I deeply honor and love. And over time, I'm going to keep putting the puzzle pieces together as I get closer and closer to a secure attachment. So codependency, um, let's start with a little bit of what the Google shows signs of. So a sense of walking on eggshells to avoid conflict with the other person, feeling the need to check in with the other person and or ask permission, often being the one who apologizes, even if you have done nothing wrong, feeling sorry for the other person, even when they hurt you, regularly trying to change or rescue troubled, addicted, or underfunctioning people whose problems go beyond one's personal ability to fix them, doing anything for the other person, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, putting the other person on a pedestal, despite the fact that they don't merit this position, a need for other people to like you in order to feel good about yourself, struggling to find any time for yourself, especially if your free time consistently goes to the other person and feeling as if you lost a sense of yourself or within the relationship. So that you can find on verywellmind.com. And I just Googled it just to have a perspective outside of my own of what codependency looks like. And I wouldn't say that I normally uh, embody all of those, but quite a bit of them. So the beauty and the reasoning for wanting to work through this shadow is that codependency in the moment feels like just an exchange of love. You're just wanting love and you're wanting them to give you love. Um, But it's a very fine line and it's sometimes hard for a codependent person to see that fine line of where are you looking to have them feed your need for validation off of their own energy source to the point where they are depleted or you are depleted versus when is it just a mutual exchange of love? like true devoted love. In a lot of the stuff that I've read, um, they talk about codependency being an opportunity for you to focus on yourself, distract yourself, find more hobbies, go hang out with different friends. And I think that is poppycock. (laughs) I think that it's one aspect, but it totally negates and bypasses the deeper need that's happening here. 
And um, I'm going to be giving two perspectives. So one is going to be the practical perspective of codependency, and then another is going to be more of the spiritual perspective. And that spiritual perspective is going to be coming from the gene keys. Gene keys is something I hold near and dear to my heart. It's part of why I named my podcast, Your Sacred Pattern Podcast, because when you dive into your own gene keys or you have somebody help you, you realize that so much of this is methodical. Like we're truly on a pattern and a path that has been created for us. And um, so Richard Redd is the author of Gene Keys. It's a sequence of four books that have absolutely changed my life. It's my top five reading list. And um, he writes that codependence is about being energetically wound around someone else in a way that feels deeply uncomfortable and destructive. This is the shadow that ensures that we remain an illusion, that we are separate and alone instead of being unified and all one. So codependency, fears of being alone, fears of people not caring, and feeling like I need too much, all of those are wound up within one another. And it's funny because the way that I show codependence is actually in hyper-independence and it's in the fear of rejection around asking for what I need that keeps me in that place. So in my mind, I feel like I'm asking for and needing so much of my partner and in their mind, if they don't see me or understand me, or I haven't gotten to the point where I can actually share what's happening, they may see me as hyper-independent, like I don't need anything from anybody and they don't feel valued because if I have everything on my own, what what are they needed for? So that's something that struggled in my past relationships. And um, the memory goes all the way back to when I was probably about 11. I was at Astro Camp and <laughs> that's where you go to camp with a bunch of other kids for, I don't know, a week or two. And it's all about astrology. And at the end of that Astro Camp, you get to have a dance. And this really cute boy asked me to the dance. And I was just like, what on earth? Why is this cute, popular boy asking me to the dance? (laughs) And then when we actually started dancing, the intimacy was so overpowering that I was like, I can't do this. Like you, you need to dance with somebody else. And it, I mean, it was just literally a middle school dance. Um, I have no idea why that, why that happened, but it's taken a lot of reflection for me to be like, wait, why did I reject him when that's not what I wanted? It was the level of intimacy. And in that memory, I went upstairs or in that, in my past, I went upstairs and watched him immediately find another person to dance with. And I just cried, just feeling like so rejected, even though I was the one that was rejecting him. And I spent that entire summer thinking about why I lost out on that opportunity for deeper connection. Um, And, you know, it wasn't so analytical. It was more like just crying and missing this person that I barely knew. And I was so young. It was my first exposure to love. But it's in those past memories that we root down different patterns and shadows that continue to show up in our adult life, whether we realize it or not. And it definitely has shown up in my adult life. And it wasn't until these, this last year that I got into a partnership where I was really able to dive deep into what does codependency look like? What uh, part of that is healthy? What part of that is shadow? And because he is so emotionally intelligent, we were able to deep dive and dissect what was happening and what was going on. So, um, One interesting thing that is not 
by coincidence at all, but I feel a lot of my girlfriends or a lot of girlfriends that I've spoken to also have experienced this level of codependence. Even in the dating stage, it's this like constantly checking your phone, feeling like they poured all this love in and then they rescinded all that love and starting to base your moods and the elevation of your moods on whether or not they are responding or receiving or giving love. And that's when things get a little bit dangerous. So through the podcast, I'm going to talk about what it looks like at codependency and relationships, as well as being single. And some of the ways that I have found deep, deep grounding and presence in my own shadow um, while having radical acceptance for who the hell I am and how much I love this aspect of codependence. So we're going to start there. Codependency has such a negative tone to it, but I do want to say that out of all the people I've met, the people who are on the spectrum of showing anxious attachment or codependent behavior usually have the biggest hearts for giving and loving. And they are so just in touch with their emotions. And this is where I use a phrase a lot, period. And if we don't know how to transmute our shadows from a lower frequency level to a higher frequency level, we are going to be controlled and owned by them. So we don't want to be controlled and owned by our shadow. We want to witness and accept our shadow so that we can become the master of our own needs and desires. Um, So that would be my first thing is to just have love and acceptance that this is a beautiful part of your process and pattern and to see that for what it is. So these are the nine ways that I get continuously closer to secure attachment. The first one is recognizing that this is a nervous system opportunity. So even though people have all this advice like, go read a book, go distract yourself, go hang out with new friends, anything that takes off you know, the intense rumination on this partner, and that is an option for sure. Having my own hobbies and passions makes a huge difference in my ability to have a secure attachment in my relationship because I have other things that I love other than putting all of that weight and pressure into my partnership, which is really just too much for one person to handle. It's not a love thing. It's more of a, mm, okay, you take all of this for me so that I don't have to feel any emotion. And that's not what our partner is there for. Our partner is there to support us, but not to take on that full load. So the first thing is when you're in a trigger and that usually can feel like intense discomfort. Maybe you feel body pain. You start crying. Maybe you start feeling anger. Witness that that is not because of something that somebody did necessarily, but it really started off earlier in your childhood. And what's happening is that all of your shit is coming up at once. And the only logical way to make sense of that is, oh, he or she did this and now I feel upset. But the higher um frequency is to always take responsibility to say, okay, I am upset with my partner. I'm going to dive into that in a second, but first I'm going to allow myself to fully feel all of this without shame. Let your inner child be heard. So you want to sit and just let all that emotion come up. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to shame yourself. Don't gaslight yourself. Don't shame yourself. (laughs) Just let it all come up and recognize that this isn't something that we can fix logically. This is a nervous system issue, which means the reason we're feeling this is because we're triggered. And um, so we want to go down into a deeper place. When you do visit with your inner child, he or she will ask for what they need. And 
a lot of times it's actually my perspective. I don't know if this is truth or not, but it's actually my inner child that wants all the attention and all the love. And it's my adult self to say, I've got you. I love you. And all of you is welcome here to express what you need. Um, The second thing I will say that has helped me a lot is hypnosis. So I recently found a coach and we've been doing weekly sessions of hypnosis and tapping. And whenever I used to hear those words, I was like, hypnosis and tapping, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it works, but this really does work. Um, I've experienced firsthand and I see immediate results. So we go through and revisit the initial memory and that initial memory tends to come up while you're tapping. So you don't need to necessarily know what the initial memory is. It might just come up and there's always a reason for that. And um, we go back into that memory and pause it, rewrite it, reframe it, ask our child in that moment what they need before the trauma happens. And being able to go back and nurture our inner child instead of put these band-aid solutions on it has been really helpful for me. The other thing is I feel a lot better when I can logically understand why something's happening. So I also see a therapist. Um, this is brand new. I just was able to get off of her wait list and into her room. So we are working on something called internal family systems, which is a work in progress. So I can report more on that when I have a better understanding. What has really helped me is understanding my gene keys. So I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but with my gene keys, I have what's called an activation sequence. There's three sequences. It's your activation sequence or your genius activation, your Venus sequence, which is all about love and relationships, and then your pearl sequence, which is all about prosperity. In the four um, keys in my genius activation, all four of them have a shadow in relationships relating to addiction, codependency, and forgetting, forgetting who I am or forgetting what I'm doing. And being able to see that, I'm like, oh my God, this makes me feel so much better because where I saw this is like, oh, this is just another part of me that is hard or an obstacle. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. All of my opportunity to get closer to loving myself and to get closer to the understanding of universal love is going to happen through relationships or datings, dating, or even like the longing that I hold in my heart when I'm not even with somebody, because that's usually where I go when I'm in a triggered place is like, I am alone. Um, will I ever find my person or being in a partnership and worrying about whether or not they're going to be there, they're going to stick around. So that's what it looks like. Um, So in the gene keys, they teach that all of your shadows are actually gifts, except one is in a lower frequency and one is in a higher frequency. So it's not about abolishing this part of you. It's about embracing this part of you and learning how to take back control so that you are in charge of how this shows up and going from there. Another cool part of gene keys is that the shadows are meant for us to clear ancestral memories. So Realizing that this isn't always just about us and us having flaws, but really what is the deeper work of us going through and reprogramming what we've known in the past around relationships and um, what we want to create and take into the future. I know for me, I want a deeply intimate, very passionate relationship and um, not a relationship where we kind of just suppress our feelings and create separation and um, 
and just became how become housemates or roommates. Like I really want something that has intimacy for the long haul. And I know I'm capable of it because I have so much passion and love in my heart. And sometimes that gift that my partner gets to receive, and it's actually also what I get to receive because I get a lot of joy by giving love is the shadow frequency, which can also look like attachment, addiction, need for validation, um, people pleasing, fawning, not being able to set boundaries. Those are the opportunities for me to transmute those lower vibrational frequencies that are actually hurting me and hurting the relationship in the long haul into something that's more suitable for creating a sustainable future for the long haul. This one, hmm, this one's really special. Asking for what you need. Uh it just frustrates me all the things that come out that's like, just do it on your own. Hyper-independence is not the medicine for codependence. Asking for what you need and showing up in vulnerability and watching people meet you in those needs is what the medicine is. Now, the biggest fear is that when you're already in a triggered state to ask for what you need and to get rejected by somebody who doesn't have the capacity to give you that is so scary. Oh my gosh. It is so scary to ask for what you need because in your mind, you're like, can't you see what I need? But your partner or your friends or your family or whomever is like, no, but if you tell me exactly what you need, I think that I can help. Um, So that's a gift that you can give to your partner. They want to help you. People want to be there for you. And you have to go deep down inside and be like, wait, what do I need? Because saying blanket statements like, you never do this or you never do that. That's really hard to interpret and translate because it comes from a place of blame and generality. Whereas you can come in a place of love and take responsibility and say, oh, okay, I'm feeling a lot right now. I'm feeling a lot, babe, and I'm feeling extremely vulnerable. And I was wondering if you would be willing to come over later tonight and just hold me for a few hours or... I'm feeling really sensitive right now. And what I would love from you is tomorrow in the morning, can you send me some words of affirmation or send me a text, some something with love, just so that I can feel a little bit of nurturing. I went a lot of my life feeling like it's me, my responsibility to take care of all of my emotions, and it's nobody else's responsibility to help me heal or feel less discomfort. And I just think that's not true. I think everything is in duality. There's a part of us that absolutely needs to do this work on our own. And there's a reason why we thrive in community and everybody thrives in community, right? We need each other. We need to rely on each other. And your definition of what is too much is certainly up to you. For me, I found that it feels really good to ask my partner for what I need and then for him to reciprocate that. Um, because not only is that me getting my needs met, but it's their needs getting met as well because providing and protecting and serving is an innate quality in certain people. Finding a partner who loves you through your shadows. Um, a lot of times we want to do this work in relationships that simply don't have the foundation and it's not their responsibility. I would say it really isn't their responsibility in uh, to put that much pressure on them in the dating phase, like going on a couple dates and then expecting them to act like your husband or to act like your caregiver. That is a lot of pressure to put on somebody when you haven't even created that emotional connection. Um, 
but with the level of codependence and anxious attachment, it's, um, it feels good and nurturing and safe to be like, can I trust you? I'm going to test you with this unconsciously. And when you don't meet my needs, I'm going to revalidate that I'm unworthy or needing too much. And that's going to put me into a cycle of triggers. So remembering that, you know, maybe there's one or maybe there's a few, whatever your belief systems are of people who are really meant to go on your journey versus there's people who are, you know, you're just meant to date and uh, not necessarily unload all of your vulnerabilities onto. Um, Choosing who you share with is also important. Like make sure that you choose who you share with because not everybody has the capacity to hold space and that's okay. It's not their fault. That's not something to blame them or reject them for. Everybody has their gifts. Some people, their gift is to hold space. Other people, their gift is to logically solve problems. And we need both. I would also say, going back to like being single in the dating phase, is do your best not to get lost in the fantasy um, of where this relationship could go and just stay in the present moment of where you're at and enjoying that. You know, maybe it's only date three or four, and maybe y'all can just have fun. If you are prone to going in deep and you want to go deep with this person, that's amazing. But also recognize that you creating emotional bonds as well as sexual bonds are going to create more oxytocin in the female brain, at least. Um, I don't know what percentage it is for the male brain, but for the female brain, oxytocin gets released, which is a bonding chemical. It's meant to be released for somebody that you want to bond with. And if we release too much oxytocin too early on, which is like rushing or love bombing, um, that makes the ending of a relationship even more difficult because then you get into narratives like, I trusted you. I thought you were going to be there for me, et cetera. And the last one is to lean on God and to have faith and to remember that you are so worthy and so beautiful. And the fact that you have anxious attachment tendencies is like just a reflection of how much love that you have in your heart and how much love that you want. And you will have it. Keep steady. Keep faithful. Keep praying. Keep allowing your emotions to come up, which in my opinion is one of the biggest ways we can honor the divine. And stay in your worthiness. Hmm. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this helps. Again, I am not a certified therapist or certified profession in this area. This is only my personal experience and it is absolutely up for conversation. I would love to have a conversation if there's something in here that you really loved or if there's something that you... um have more to add to, please do so. I always do a post on Instagram. I would love to continue the conversation there. And I think that's it. Love y'all. Have an amazing week.